Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear T.S. Madison. There's no more pussy out here. There's only bussy. That's boy pussy. <laughs> that and more. But before that, one of the best recommendations we make to small businesses is to use Stamps.com. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping so convenient and it saves you time and money. You can buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Once you try it, you won't go back to all those time-consuming trips to the post office. To get you started, Stamps.com has a special offer for our listeners. Just use the promo code RISK to get this special no-risk trial, nothing to lose, plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale that calculates exact postage for letters and packages, no guesswork, and up to $55 free postage. Stamps.com is easy to use. You can print postage for your letters and packages right from your desk. Then just hand them to the mailman. Over 500,000 small businesses are using stamps.com. Fuck my ass. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to mute my phone. That I guess that was an offer, but not, not a part of this Stamps.com offer. All right, we use Stamps.com, and uh, we love it. So remember, go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. Finally, don't forget our friends who created One Month Rails, a series of video lessons and tutorials that teach anyone how to build their first web app in just 30 days. In the One Month Rails class, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, and more. Enroll at onemonth.com slash risk loves you. If you join now, you'll get a one-time discount of 25% off for joining. One Month Rails is 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and in it, you'll build your first web app just don't forget to fuck my ass now here's the show Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is the Duncan behind me now. I'll tell you, I just got back from a huge weekend. We did a big, big show in Detroit. We did a big, big show in Chicago. Had an amazing time in both places. I'm super worried that we have lost the audio for the Detroit show, but I believe next week we'll be premiering the footage of the Chicago one. Now listen, we're going to Boston on April 25th. That show will be a part of the Women in Comedy Festival, which is always an amazing festival, so we're super looking forward to it. I'll be hosting the show, even though, you know, I have these enormous balls. So April 25th, Come see us in Boston, folks. Now, we're calling this week's episode Deviance. Bunch of stories about sex that was not exactly uh, your heteronormative missionary style. 
We're going to feature three stories in a row before you hear me again. The first is from Aaron Kafitz at the People's Improv Theater in New York City. Aaron has a truly hilarious podcast of his own called The Movie We're Going to Make. He invites people to come in and invent plots to movies right off the top of their head. You got to check it out. Next, we're going to hear from Christopher Ryan, author of Sex at Dawn. Uh, <laughs> this was, you, you might remember, Chris told one of the best stories ever told on Risk. It's in an episode called The Sweet Hereafter, where he is stung by a scorpion while he's tripping on LSD in the Mayan ruins. When I first asked him to tell the story, I wanted him to tell it live at our show in Los Angeles. But he changed his mind when he got up on stage and said this to the audience. I'm going to tell a completely different story, okay? Uh, Fuck Kevin. I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> but that ended up being a great thing because we got another super story out of Chris. Now, uh, the third person we're going to hear from is the one and only... T.S. Madison. We are so excited to have her on the show. If you're unfamiliar, uh, just Google the words big dick bitch. She is a diva, a sex goddess, a uh, YouTube celebrity, and one hilarious motherfucker. All right, but before Christopher Ryan and T.S. Madison, we're going to go to the Risk Live show in New York City to hear from Aaron Kafitz with a story we call My Back Pages. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. So what you need to know about me for this show is that I am and have always been an 80-year-old man. Uh, my dad tells a story that when I was first born, he like held me in his arms and I looked like an old Jewish man. <laughs> and he thought I was gonna turn to him and be like, don't have the bagels in the cafeteria. Um, through my life, I've worn a lot of robes and slippers, like to be real comfortable, love a brand muffin, uh, that's not a bowel thing. I just love the taste of a bran muffin. I was always the kid that was like friends with everyone's parents more than I was friends with the kids. I was in preschool and I was uh, hanging out with my best friend, Aja. Uh, he went off like running, chasing after some kind of like ball or squirrel or something. And I turned to his mother, this is not a joke. I turned to his mother and I said, where do they get the energy? <laughs> That's who I am. Uh, so I grew up in this town in California that thought it was like God's gift, like the way people were meant to live with organic produce and Wi-Fi everywhere, like God intended. And it was a great uh, forward-thinking little town. And as a result of that, my high school, despite the fact that it was a public high school and kind of a large public high school, I think like two and a half thousand kids, everyone at one point or another got sent to sensitivity training camp. This was probably the school district in the United States that least needed sensitivity training camp, but we had it. 
and we all had to go. And we would go at different times, and the teachers would be the counselors. Uh, teachers from the school would, would also counsel at this sensitivity training camp. And we would like put on tolerance-themed skits and eat tolerance-themed pasta dishes and um, whatever tolerance stuff you want to talk about, uh, we would do there. And the teachers and the counselors, the same thing, we referred to them by their first names, right? Because we're all just people, man. Let's not put a label on things. So, uh, so we got divided up into sections, and the leader of my section was this woman, Sarah. She was uh, normally a science teacher at my school. Uh, she wasn't my teacher, but she was a teacher there. But this weekend, she's just Sarah. She's like about 30, and she looks like kind of an older, at this time, Jennifer Aniston. And so, so we go into our groups, we divide into our groups, and I like instantly am way too cool for all of this, right? I'm like, fuck your PC bullshit, man. I've seen Empire Records once. I, I see through this, I guess. So we split up into our groups, and everybody is instantly sharing. The sharing pours out instantly of like, of like let's touch each other's emotions. And I hate it so much. Uh, the question is something like, when is the last time you were deeply emotionally affected? And I'm like, uh, you know, I guess the last time I was peeing outside. I love peeing outside. I think it's really freeing. That's when I was emotionally affected. And while I was just being an asshole, I stand by that point of view. Peeing outside is wonderful and liberating. Uh, and you should do it a lot. Uh, and everyone is like, oh, how dare he? And Sarah is like, oh yeah, my husband says the exact same thing. He pees off our balcony every morning. <laughs> they live in like a wooded area. It's not like a city <laughs> where he pees on passersby. Uh, uh, but instantly we like kind of bond over this and I can tell that she not only is joined to me by like the joy of peeing outside, but also, she also kind of thinks that this is all bullshit. And I instantly, the 80-year-old man in me is like, what a square head this young lady has on her shoulders. Uh, she knows what's going on. So we come back from Sensitivity Weekend, and one of Sarah's students has mistakenly grabbed my sleeping bag. So we're like, damn. Uh, she says, you know, I'll arrange the correct exchange of sleeping bags back and forth. Uh, why don't I get your email address and I have my student's email address. So she does arrange that exchange back and forth. And then we also start to email about other things. It turns out we have common interests. I turn her onto this band that I'm really into at the time uh, called OAR, <laughs> uh, which stands for Of A Revolution. There was very little that was revolutionary about this band, uh, but there you go. And we would exchange emails and we would be like, ooh, like this lyric is so interesting and that lyric is so interesting. And it's like an amateur course on contemporary shitty American poetry uh, for free that we're doing in our extracurricular time. 
I don't know why I'm shitting on OAR. I haven't listened to them since high school. Maybe they're a fine band. I just want you to think I'm cooler than I was in high school. Um, and then we start hanging out because we have a lot of stuff in common. We go to like coffee shops. You know, we talk about interesting stuff like, uh, like, ooh, don't you think America is kind of obsessed with blue? Like blue jeans and the blues? And a third example we'll reach for later on? Uh, and I'm like, wow, she really gets me in a way that my peers do not. They're all like making fun of the kid who's driving a PT cruiser. Uh, and we're talking, we're having deep conversations. And then we find out that OAR is coming to our town on a tour. And naturally, we have to go. Uh, because we're both so into this awesome band. Uh, and we, we go to this concert, and it's great, and it's fun, and we're driving home later that night, and I'm like, oh, you know, we are out of this concert way earlier than I thought we were going to be out of this concert. My mom is not expecting me home for a while. Um, do you want to, like, go grab a coffee or something? And she's like... Uh, Sure, I mean, I, I'd love to, but I think all of the coffee shops are closed at this point. And I go, damn. Damn, 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 damn. Um, well, you know, we could, like, grab some blankets from my house and go up to the hill right by my house that overlooks the whole town. Uh, and she's like, okay, sure. Sure, that sounds like fun. So we do that. There's a very weird moment where I run inside and grab blankets, and my mom's like, you're home? And I'm like, no, just grab blankets, bye! Um, we go up to this hill. We, we go up to Makeout Hill, and uh, we're sitting and we're talking about the interesting things that we're always talking about, and looking over the whole town, the stars. And at this point, I should explain that my sexual MO at this point is like, go until somebody stops you. <laughs> Push back, try your luck. Push some boundaries. This was at a time in my life, uh, this was before college when all of my confidence was beaten out of me. Uh, and so I'm just like, so I'm up on this hill and I feel like I'm getting a vibe. I'm like, maybe I'm not getting a vibe, but I feel like I'm getting a vibe. That's what's in the air. And I'm like, what do I have to lose? Push the limits. I go in for a kiss. And she doesn't stop me. So we kiss. And the whole time, I'm like, what, really? Like, I can't believe I'm getting away with this. It's fucking amazing. Uh, and, uh, and then we pull away and, uh, and she, says, uh, and she says to me, so what happens now? <laughs> Meaning like, how do we continue to hang out or whatever? And I give like the most classic dude non-answer. Like this transcends space and time. Dudes have been giving this type of non-answer when asked relationship questions since we were cavemen. Uh, and I'm like, I don't know, like, 
why do we have to put labels on things? <laughs> we'll just hang out when we want to hang out. We want to hang out when we don't want to hang out. She's like, okay, okay. So we date for like two months and it's great. It's totally great. She's a lovely, wonderful person. This is very weirdly like maybe one of the best relationships I've ever had in my life. Um, I, so as an example, I have always had a very hard time uh, coming from oral sex, from receiving oral sex. And that's because I feel like when you are having sex with somebody, like the novel part of that is the other person being there. Like if I were just trying to come, I would masturbate, which I'm really good at. I'm like super good at it and need no assistance. Uh, but, but when somebody else is there, I'm like, oh, the new part of this equation is you. Like, let's focus on that. Um, so I have a very hard time with that. And she was the first person in my life who was like, who was like no, 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 slow down, slow down. Does it feel good? And I was like, yeah. She's like, that's enough. That's enough. And I was like, oh, what a youthful perspective she brings to our relationship. <laughs> She's like helping me stop and smell the flowers. I'm all business. Uh, wonderful. Then one day, kind of after like two months, totally out of the blue, we're driving in her car. I can't drive yet. And, and, um, and she pulls over. She pulls over and is like, uh, I can't keep doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. I love my husband. And I was, and if I, you know, I was disappointed. If I were a normal teenager, I would have been like, but love and Romeo and Juliet and, and like we're meant to be together. But my reaction was very much like, what a sound life choice this young lady is making. <laughs> I feel like I've rubbed off on her. I feel like, you know, sad to see her go, but, um, you know, she's doing what's best for her, and, you know, that's what's best for everybody. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, and I say, uh, okay, can you still give me a ride to my friend Alex's? <laughs> she says yes, and she does. And I'm very, I, to this day, I'm very grateful for, for that relationship. I feel like it was, um, it was good. I've, I mean, I have Buddha said about it. I, I guess, technically, that was statutory rape. And uh, I'm just going to call it out because, uh, you know, I'm roughly that age at this point, And, like, the idea that I would have sex with somebody about to turn 16 is, like, crazy. But it didn't feel like that at the time. And maybe most of the time it does, and, and, or like 99.9999% of the time it does, or maybe it was and I don't have the right perspective on it. But um, it's not how it felt at the time. And I don't think I'm the only one who's grateful. In researching this story, I looked up this woman and she's doing great. Uh, she's still with the guy that she was with at the time, so this was not like a life-ruining experience for her, which I'm very happy about. But on her Facebook page, there is one listing under favorite music, and it's OAR. 
I'm here, I'm here. Don't start the class without me. You're early. You're the only one here. Well, I had so much fun yesterday. You're the best teacher ever. Oh, that is so sweet. Every day I rush here to learn about the world with you. Show me Uh, I'm the guy, if any of you know who I am, you probably know me as the guy who wrote this book about sex with my lovely wife and co-author, who's back there somewhere, Casilda. Uh, so I thought I'd tell a story about my first sexual experience, which happened when I was eight with a cat. Um, but a female cat, okay? I'm not gay or anything. And, uh, and, and she was asking for it, all right? It wasn't, it was consensual. Um, <laughs> Look, I was eight, okay? We've all been eight. And you sort of have a vague sense of what's going on. Like, I remember going with friends to a bar and being amazed that they would sell us the beer nuts because we got really drunk when we ate them all, you know? I don't know if any of you know what beer nuts are. But anyway, so I was eight years old. My parents were going to play bridge at their friend's house, and Nancy, the babysitter, wasn't available. Um... And aside, my first sexual experience with a person was with Nancy, the babysitter, a couple years later. But that's a different story. Uh, so I go with my parents to their friend's house where they're playing bridge. I don't know if any of you remember bridge, but it's a thing people played in the 70s. So they, I, we got to the house and the, the people said, okay, look, you can stay downstairs in the family room with the cat, but keep the door closed because the cat's in heat. I didn't understand what in heat meant. I thought it meant the cat was hot, so the air conditioner was on or something. I, I didn't really know what was going on. I had vague sense of what was happening in sex. I remember talking with some friends. They were a little older than me. They were talking about rubbers. And I was like, oh yeah, rubbers, rubbers. And they were like, you don't even, you're eight. You don't know what rubbers are. I said, yeah, I know what they are. And so I had this vague idea that it had something to do with stopping babies. And they said, well, all right, what's a rubber? I said, well, it's a piece of rubber a woman puts over her vagina, so when the baby starts to get born, it bounces back in. <laughs> and the thing is, they didn't laugh, so I don't think they knew what rubbers were either. You know? So I was trying to figure shit out. And so I go downstairs, and I remember the show that was on TV was the show called Love American Style. Now, I don't know if anyone in the room is old enough to remember that shit, but it was the 70s. It was all swingers, and Johnny Carson was smoking cigarettes and had gin, and you know, it was all, it was a different world. So I'm watching the show, and this cat is going nuts, right? It's just like, yeah, I don't know if, if you've had cats in heat, they're just like shameless, you know? <laughs> and she was rubbing her ass on everything, and she was looking at me, and she had this desperation in her eyes. And Next to the sofa, there was a table, and there was a pencil on the table. Yeah, I picked up the pencil, and I was like, mm. and I don't know why, but somehow I like held the pencil down with the eraser, eraser, uh, eraser, end out, and the cat came up, and she got up on this pencil and started humping this pencil, and I thought I'm gonna hurt the cat, so I pulled the pencil away, and she turned around and looked at me like, dude. Dude, hello, what are you doing? You know, premature ejaculator, you know. 
I don't know. So I understood that. All right. So I put the pencil back down. And she got on the pencil again and she humped this pencil until she came. And then she rolled over and started cleaning her face and looked at me with what I remember as love. Everybody out there doesn't know me. I am the infamous T.S. Madison, and I am I'm everything. Right now, I'm an entertainer. I'm a viral vlogger, and I happen to have some adult entertainment on my resume. Well, it's, it's the first thing to pop up when you Google me, but, you know. But there was a time when I was just plain old Madison trying to survive in Miami, Florida, in the, on the streets of Miami, Florida. And being an African-American trans woman, it was very difficult for me to live in Miami and obtain a lot of things I wanted, like as far as um, transitioning and monies for that. So I had to work the street. Working the street, it has its ups and downs. Some nights you get all kind of good dick, some nights you get bad dingling, and then other nights you get robbed. So it was November 22nd, 2001. I was in the midst of trying to decide whether I was going to continue to live in Miami. It was a couple of days before Thanksgiving. That's why I didn't forget it. I had came to the conclusion that I was going to just solely do my escorting work off of the Internet. I was going to only do arrows and maybe the magazines, the upscale magazines. Now, when you're working out the, the magazines and arrows, you don't get the good dick that you need like you can get from the sidewalk, honey. So I said, Madison... I'm just going to tiptoe a little bit out here, just tiptoe out here on the sidewalk and, you know, have a little fun, make a couple dollars, and then get back to my upscale whoring. Well, a guy picked me up on the corner of Northwest 79th Street and 12th Avenue. I think it's about midnight because, you know, the freaks come out after 12. He had to be about 29 years old. He had a little pudgy stomach. He had a cute face. He had, his body wasn't, he didn't have a cute body, but he was, he had a cute, he was Puerto Rican and black. So he had a nice caramel skin tone and he had a small cock because I saw it. It was small, but you know, I'm the big dick bitch, honey. So of course he wanted a big dick bitch in his mouth. Anyway, so I mean, he was cute and he had a lot of jewelry. I guess the jewelry was supposed to really excite me, but I'm like, you got on all this jewelry and all you have is 20 bucks. Okay, whatever. And he says, hey, baby. Want to blow? And I was like, oh, but of course. <laughs> but that's going to cost you. And he says, okay, you know, how much is it going to cost you? And I said, it was gonna, well, you know, a blowjob back then was, was 60 bucks. You know, for him to give me a blow, 60 bucks. And he was like, well, I don't have 60. All I have is 20. And who was going to turn down $20 and a good blowjob at the same time? I know it wasn't me. 
So I climbed my ass over into the car. I decided to go ahead on and say, okay, I'm going to take the 20 and I'm going to get in the car. I left all my girlfriends like, bye, girl. Bye, I'm going to get some fellatio. See y'all in about 10 minutes, you know? So I got in this car and we turned the corner. There was a vacant house with a lot of shrubbery and bush and stuff like that. And I told him, I said, baby, don't park here. I have a bad feeling about this area right here. And being that I'm a Libra, honey, I'm practically psychic. So I was like, I have a bad, bad feeling about this spot right here. He said, it's okay, baby. I have good head. And they start talking about they got good head and, and money. You know, it just it's, it does something. It just, it just puts a spell over you like, yes, I got to get it all. So I said, okay, well, just back up it. He was like, no, baby, it's okay. I'm going to pull right here. So he pulled there right in front of the shrubbery and all the bushes and stuff like that. Picked me right up from the corner. And he says, okay, baby, lean the seat back. So I leaned the seat back, you know, leaned it back, you know, pushed my boobs up to the top. Pulled one titty out of the bra so he could suck my nipple. So he sucked my nipple and it got me aroused and I got an erection. And he was like, oh, yes, you know. Oh, my God. So I was like, baby, give me the money. I know you see the goods. Now give me the money. So he gave me the 20 bucks. And I slid, I had a, I never forget what I had on. I had a red, white, and blue two-piece bathing suit with an afro wig. And I had it pulled back like Pam Greer. And I slid the 20 bucks under the back of the wig. So I'm laid back in the seat. He's just performing. Like a bobblehead. So as he's performing, and I'm looking here, because I still have this uneasy feeling about these freaking bushes over here. Shrubbery is just shaking. So I tap his head like while he's down there. I said, baby, look up. I think there's something moving <laughs> in the bushes over here. So he was studying like, mm, it's okay. Mm, mm, mm. So it, at this time, my erection is like going down to like nothing. It's going, it's, it's shriveling up to nothing. He's like, baby, what's wrong? I'm like, baby, there's something crawling in these bushes and in this grass. Do you know that this fool looked up, I looked over, and there was a double barrel, sawed off shotgun right there in the car. And it was a guy with a ski mask on, and he said, you motherfuckers don't move. So of course I'm already frozen. I was already halfway hard, so I couldn't do anything because my panties was down around my ankles. And I'm sitting here with this afro wig. You just had to see the moment I was just like, Sitting here looking at the gun, at this fucking dude looking at the gun. My dick is over here de dead asleep. And this fool is sitting here like, give me all y'all fucking money. Give me your jewelry. Give me all this stuff. So I'm sitting here like, what? So do you know that this disgusting fool had the audacity to say, I just gave her all the money. I was like, you dumb bitch. I said, baby, listen, I don't have any money. He has on all this jewelry. So, you know, it became a war of who has what in the car. <laughs> so, so the guy opens the door and he said, don't you fucking run. Just give me all this jewelry. Give me all this jewelry and all your money. So he was like, hold on, babe. He said, hold on, man. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. Please. Please don't kill me. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. And then all of a sudden, this fool shot off running. So he leaves me in his car, panties around my ankle, shriveled up dick, sitting up here, soft as goddamn cotton, 
the robber is looking at how fast the man has shot off like speed racer, like pew. And he, both of us are sitting here shocked. So the dude jumps in the car, turns this man's fucking car on, throws it in reverse. I'm still sitting here, legs wide open. Dick still sitting here like, oh my God, is this shit really happening? <laughs> he backs the car up and does a hundred going up the street. So I'm like, baby, are you serious? So he puts the gun over here and he says, bitch, you're gonna give me all that motherfucking money that that nigga gave you. I said, baby, I told you the man ain't, I don't have any money. He didn't give me any money. He didn't give me shit. Cause fuck that, I wasn't parting with that $20. I'm sorry, I shit, nah, I didn't get, you, he licked the dick and I, I needed my money for him licking it. So we riding up the road, doing 100 miles an hour in a fucking stick shift Toyota Corolla. So this fool is driving the stick with the mask on and the gun. I, it, this shit was, it was like out of a fucking, a movie. So it was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So I'm over here and I'm trying to pull my panties up. My, my shit's still hanging out here, okay? And he's like, don't look at me. This was crazy. We drove past the police car and he said, bitch, don't look at me. And he pulled his mask off. Like he pulled it from this way because we rolled next to the police. So he pulled the mask off like this. So when he said, don't look at me, the first thing I did was, I looked dead at his face. like. drove to some area like he knew where he was going like he's been doing this all night long and he jumps out of the car he comes around on my side and he tells me to get out and I got out of the car and he says pull those fucking panties off pull all of that shit off so I took it all off or whatever and he had me stark naked it was almost dawn and he took me to the bushes and he said you're gonna give me everything you got I said baby I don't have anything he says, all of that ass and them titties, you got everything right there. I was like, oh, okay, so it's turned into this now. He says, get down on your knees right now, and you better suck this dick. So I just dropped down, and I just started sucking it on knees in the bushes. Going crazy. He's like, golly, gun still right here. Gun right here in my head, and I'm eating and he was like, I want to fuck. I want to fuck you. So I was like, oh my God. So what is the pro fucking procedure when you have a gun to your head, okay? <laughs> so he just spit on it and just rammed it. You know, spit and ram and, all, and nervousness is going to cause a, a milkshake. So he's, <laughs> so he's fucking me like ridiculously, honey, you know, and he's trying to do a reach around at the same time. Now at this time, when he did the reach around, I was like really disgusted, like, okay. So now you want me to enjoy this now while your hard dick is in my ass and you only use spit. I'm nervous. There's butterflies and everything else going on in my stomach. So when he pulled his dick out, it was covered. It was covered. It looked like a Milky Way or a Mounds or a Mr. Good Bar. So it was covered. I was like, oh my God, this man's going to kill me because I shit it all over his dick. <laughs> but I was nervous. I was like, bitch. <laughs> So he looked at it like he looked at all the dookie and everything all over the dick. Like that was a turn on for him. Thank God that he it was a rubber. He did put a condom on it or whatever. Cause, cause so he peeled the condom off. And I was like, okay, yeah, he's going to kill me. Because this condom is coated, honey. This is coated with paste. <laughs> so after he busted nut, 
he pulled the gun off and threw the condom in the bushes and I'm still standing there and he tells me turn around and face the tree so I was like okay is this this is it like it's gonna be right here in a, in a bunch of shrubbery in the, in the middle of nowhere naked he said count backwards from a hundred so I was like 99, 98, 97, 96, 95, 94. By 90, he threw me the car keys to the car and said, do you know how to drive a stick? I was like, hell no, I don't know how to drive no fucking stick shift car, no. He told me, don't look. I can't help but look, baby. I, I, I'm looking. He gets in the car. Some, it was a gold Nissan Maxima. The Nissan Maxima pulled up to the exact spot and a woman was driving the Nissan Maxima, a real woman. And he jumped in the Nissan Maxima and left me right there naked with the car, the keys or whatever. So as I'm walking out of the bushes, police cars pull up. And one of the girls that I was standing on the corner with pulled up in the police car. So I got to thinking, how the fuck does she know that I'm way back here in these bushes? Was this a setup? The girl pulled up. The guy that was robbed, he was in the back of the police car. So this stuff, they pulled right up like maybe like five minutes later. I'm standing here, baby. And I'm like, okay, the client is here in the car. But how did this bitch that I was just standing on the corner with, how the hell did she know that? Because this man drove me way up somewhere. How the hell did she know? I just, it was so strange to me. So the police got out of the car and they said, uh, sir, you know, because this is Miami, they respect nothing. Sir, tell us what happened. So I was like, well, first of all, I'm not a sir. They said, excuse me, sir, you're naked. So I was just like, <laughs> you're a sir. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm the motherfucking victim here, okay? I'm the victim, so don't come over here with this bullshit. So I started to tell them what happened. Like, you know, the, the usual prostitute on the street story. I was talking to a friend, and he was getting ready to give me a ride. And the police said, cut the shenanigans out, bitch, because we were already informed on what was going on. We were informed by the guy. So the owner of the Toyota was like, baby, go ahead and tell them what happened, because I've already told them my side of the story, so go ahead and tell them what happened. I said, okay, well, this guy pulled up and he offered me $20 to suck my dick. I told him not to pull over there to this fucking abandoned house. And some fucking crazy-ass maniac, trans-loving fool crawled through the bushes and pulled a double-barrel, sawed-off shotgun in the car and, and kidnapped me and raped me. That's what happened. And so the guy was like, do you want to go to the rape center? I was like, okay, you know, you just called me sir. So... What is it going to look like that you're saying well, you have a black male that was raped by another black male? I was not interested in going to the rape center. It was good dick. The dick was good. I'm not going to lie. Even though I shitted on him, honey, I was nervous. I would have did all that stuff. He didn't have to bring the gun, you know? So as I'm sitting up here telling them the story, you know how the, the police uh, talk on those things on their arm, and, you know, the little, the, the talking. They got a call in and they called out some numbers. So in the midst of them calling out the numbers, the police just jumped in the car and they had wrapped me up in the thing. It was like, let's go. We've apprehended a suspect. Let me tell you what this stupid fool did. This fool had to have been stalking me walking the streets all night. 
He parked his car on the other side of the street where the bushes were. He parked his car over there. Do you know that the other girls on the corner had busted out all the windows of his car and flattened his tires? So I guess the Maxima was trying to take him back to get his car, but he couldn't move his car because the girls tore that fucking car down to the ground, baby. And he was standing up there trying to get inside of the car. And the police rolled right up on him, and I was in the back seat. They grabbed him, and they said, you're under arrest for kidnapping and rape of a man and he was like man I didn't rape no motherfucking man I ain't rape no man I ain't do shit what the fuck is y'all talking about y'all lying on me or whatever 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 the guy called to the other police car and he said well if you if we bring him back here to the car are you gonna identify him and I was like yeah so the girl that drove over there that worked on the corner with me she's in the back seat with me so as soon as she walked up to the window she was like that's him that's him right there yes that's that nigga that's that nigga right there. Take that bitch to jail. So this fool just broke out and tried to run and then fight the police. And it was crazy. And I'm nervous because I'm like, oh, God. Like, I wanted him to go to jail. But I didn't want him to go to jail because, like, I have to come to work every so often. Like, it might get slow. And they don't care about queens here in Miami, especially during this time. I could get killed by the same stupid fool and they'll let him back out on the street. After a few weeks went by, right before Christmas, I had to come downtown and I had to talk with the investigator of the case. And the guy was like, tell us your story. I told him exactly what happened. And they rolled over and they looked at the computer. I said, well, how long do you guys have him for? They said, oh, he's released. He got out. His bond was $50,000. He's been out of jail for the last week. I said, okay, so do you honestly think that I'm going to sit up here and press charges on this man? And he's going to freaking kill me on the street? What about my protection? Like, are y'all do y'all, are y'all going to put me in some kind of protection or something? I'm a queen. A man will kill me for 20 bucks. He'll actually kill me for free. If he was still in custody, yes. But y'all let this, you supposed to not give him no bail. This man kidnapped me. He robbed this dude of his jewelry, theft by taking of the vehicle, strong arm robbery, rape. Are you fucking serious? This man was not supposed to get a bond. Because I was a queen, this shit happened. So, I didn't press charges. Because I was just like, what was the fucking use? Like, he's out. They felt like that my life was petty. Like... So my life is worth only $50,000? Like, five, excuse me, 5,000, 10% of his bond? Are you fucking crazy? So I just was like, no, I'm not pressing charges on it. I said, eventually, he's going to get it. He's going to either get killed by somebody doing that stuff, or he's going to get AIDS, or something's going to happen to him where he's, he's going to get his payback for doing that. I'm just not going to do it. But that was my last night working the street. Right after that, I vowed to myself, I said, Madison, bitch, you have so many things to look forward to in life. This could have been a moment of boom. And all people would have said was she deserved it because she was a whore. And I know this to be true because I walk the streets of Miami and, and I know girls that have been murdered. And 
the police was they didn't give a fuck about that stuff. They didn't care about that type of stuff. They didn't care. You know what I'm saying? It was just another statistic. Like, oh, well, girl, they killed another queen. Like, okay, well, she's dead. You know, one less queen to worry about on the sidewalk. During that time, it was very difficult for the girls to transition and work at the same time. I don't think anybody walks that street for nothing less than money. If either one of us had the opportunity to make what we make in a night on a fucking job, do you think we put ourselves at risk? And a lot of us cannot get jobs or, or are not allowed to even choose a job because the first thing that the people are worried about is which bathroom we're going to use. Because I've worked on many jobs, but every time they didn't want to say the reason that they were terminated my position was because of my sexuality, but it was. It was. They put it on something petty. Oh, we can exercise our right to terminate anyone within the probationary period. We can exercise that right to do that. And it's things like that that I was faced with there. That drove me to the street. Like it wasn't lack of education. Like, and I hate when people misjudge people that that are that are escorts or exotic dancers or or anywhere in the sex entertainment industry. I hate when people misjudge them or or put them in the category of being uh, uneducated. So I got raped and robbed, and I let it go. But my lesson was, Madison, you survived this stuff so that you can tell this story to new girls that are thinking about the business. It's not all what it's cracked up to be. You know, th these things can happen to you. And you may not be as lucky as me. You might not get away with your life. You, you might be murdered. But you need to know that, that I survived to tell you the story. Like, this happens. And if you're not careful and you rob a boy pussy, you're going to get shitted on. Because that's what happened to that damn boy. <laughs> Shoes. Never wear your heart on your sleeve Cause it don't go with the suit And you got a bad, bad woman With a young little pretty face They told you not to go get married But you went and did it anyway Singing Oh, sweet sounds of American you Never miss a Sunday service Never got Every time you drive by waving, I see you right This is Risk. This is Yellow Wolf behind me now. And we just heard, of course, from the amazing T.S. Madison. You can find her at BigDickBitch.com. But definitely also check out her YouTube channel, 
She is never-endingly fun to hear from. Before that, a little interstitial by our own Jeff Barr. Before that, Christopher Ryan, the author of Sex at Dawn. If you've never heard of it, look for it. Fascinating book. Our last story comes to us from another storytelling show of which we are big fans. This was recorded at the Mystery Box in Portland, Oregon. This is Humiliatrix Extraordinaire Sierra Lynch. You can find her at C-E-A-R-A-L-Y-N-C-H dot com. Here she is now at the Mystery Box in Portland, Oregon with a story we call You're in Business. Oh, sweet sounds of American you Never miss a Sunday service, never got time as a teenager in front of my computer screen avoiding my parents. And not because they were particularly bad parents, they were actually really great, but because I was a teenager and it was a cheap form of escapism. <laughs> and for anyone who's ever been or pretended to be a young woman on the internet, you know that there's uh, no end to the vast sea of random perverts who'd be more than happy to chat with you. And while I think most 17-year-old girls would be very quick to avoid that kind of attention, I actually welcomed it. Uh, So this one day, a guy starts talking to me, and he immediately takes a liking to me after seeing my picture. And I bring him up because he was different than any other guy I'd ever talked to at that point. I always figured all guys were into boobs and blowjobs, but uh, this guy had more unusual tastes. He liked getting peed on. (laughs) And when he talked to me, he certainly sexualized me, but he didn't sexualize me like an object. He sexualized me like I was this goddess that should be worshipped and revered, which is still very dehumanizing, but in a much more flattering sort of way. (laughs) So I didn't block him, but I wasn't really nice to him either, you know? Talking to him was kind of like squeezing a blackhead out of my face. It was really gross, but I was really intrigued. So he would tell me about all his little pee fantasies, and I would tell him that I thought he was gross and that I hated him. And for reasons I didn't understand at the time, he really liked it when I talked to him like that. It was like the meaner I was to him, the more he wanted my attention. Um, So this one day he messages me, and he starts going off about how amazing I am and how I'm so beautiful that my piss should be bottled and sold. (laughs) Now, I'm not thinking much of this at the time. Like, this is how we usually talked. But the idea of bottling and selling my piss was really funny to me. So even though I thought it was just this hormone-fueled thought that he typed with one hand, (laughs) I decided to play along. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You should do that. You should buy my bottled piss. And he agreed. (laughs) But only under the condition that I send it to him first, and then he would pay me. Now, 
I'm still thinking this is all still a game at this point. There's no way this guy is going to send me money for my pee, especially if I send it to him first. But (sighs) what if he did? Like, even if there's just this tiny, tiny 1% chance that he pays me, what do I really have to lose here? So I took him up on it. And later that day, I got a uh, 12-ounce bottle of Coke, and I drank it, and I waited around for nature to call, and when it did, I took this plastic bottle, and I awkwardly positioned it wherever I figured my pee hole was. Um, I'm still not really sure exactly where it's at. Um, And uh, I filled it up, and it was kind of messy and awkward, but, you know, I got the job done. And then I sealed up the bottle, and I packaged it up, and I went to the post office. And I was so nervous going to this post office, you know, like, I'd never shipped my waste before, and um, I just had all these visions of the postal worker just ripping open the package and seeing what it was and, like, drilling me about toxic material and hazardous waste and taking my picture and posting it on the wall and 86ing me. Luckily, none of that happened. He asked me what it was, and of course I lied, and he believed me, and it got shipped off. So I breathed a sigh of relief, it was off my hands, and uh, I told myself to just put this behind me and forget about it. I really did not want to get my hopes up. So about a week later, I get an envelope back from him containing $250. (laughs) And it's difficult for me to describe just how utterly shocked and delighted I was. Like, I don't think I'd really ever had that much money before. And I just remember rolling around in my bed, covering myself in the bills, just laughing maniacally. Like, here was this substance that I flushed down the toilet multiple times a day, and it just earned me $250. So the wheels in my mind immediately start turning. Like... What could I do with this money? I could pay for driver's ed, which was something my parents refused to pay for because they wanted me to earn it myself. (laughs) And then I started thinking, there has to be more guys like this out there. Like, this human toilet just found me by accident. Like, what would happen if I went looking for deranged perverts like this? (laughs) So, I did a little homework. Now, I'd heard of women selling their used panties before, and I figured there had to be a way to do it online. So I jumped on my computer and I did a little research. And I found a website called eBand. That's E-B-A-N-N-E-D. And it's an auction site just like eBay, except they specialize in items that eBay has banned. So, (laughs) used panties, socks, shoes, toenail clippings, pubic hair, tampons, chewed up gum, Kleenex, you name it. Anything a woman can harvest off her body can be auctioned and sold off this site. So, Yahtzee, I couldn't wait to get started. Now, I'm still living at home at this point, so I had to wait around for my dad to go to work or leave or whatever, I would go and I'd get my uh, cheap uh, digital camera and I would have a little sexy one-woman photo shoot in my underwear and I would take these pictures and I'd upload them and I would create all sorts of auctions and I would sell things. 
it was great. They sold fantastic. And I started getting emails from all sorts of guys, just, just like that original pee drinker, just complimenting me and telling me about all their weird little fetishes. It was awesome. Uh, and, you know, it, it was a good situation because I had this part-time job to keep up with appearances. But after my shift, I could go home and log on to Kinky Narnia and, like, make a little cash on the side. This was all well and good. I did it for weeks and months. But I was kind of sloppy. And uh, my dad ended up finding out about it. And he found, like, I don't know, a pair of panties I had in a Ziploc bag that was being shipped off somewhere. And he kind of freaked out. Um, now, a little bit more about my parents. They're awesome. They're really good people. They're divorced, but they've both very much been a part of my life. And uh, they're loving and supportive and, you know, everything you could want from your parents. So... My dad calls my mom, and they decide that they need to have this emergency meeting with me. And they sit me down, and they're really concerned, and they just want to know, like, what's going on in my life and all this. And, you know, looking back, I I know they had my best interest in heart, but at the time, I was just so mortified. And that just came across as anger, and I just did not want to talk to them about this. So I folded my hands, and I just stonewalled them, and I let them do all the talking. I just remember them saying that this was a big self-esteem issue and that if I really respected myself, I wouldn't be doing it. And I'm thinking, there's no way we can have a conversation about this because I don't know what they're talking about. This wasn't a self-esteem issue. This wasn't a cry for help. This was just a really rad way of making money. (laughs) So... I decided I just need to move out. I was 18 by then, and I told them what they wanted to hear, that I wasn't doing it anymore, and uh, I got my own space. Once I had the freedom to pursue this without sneaking around, I just kept finding more ways of making money online from these guys. I created my own phone sex lines, but because I was more of a fetish girl than a phone sex operator, the conversations I would have sounded nothing like sex. At least to me, anyway. Uh, all the guys that would call me would be very submissive and they liked verbal humiliation so I would just berate them and call them names and tell them to eat my shit and they loved me (laughs) and from these phone lines I expanded into webcam shows and uh, webcam shows expanded into little solo videos that I would make before I knew it I had kind of carved a name out for myself in this really niche online world and evolved into a cyber dominatrix or a humiliatrix if you will And uh, pretty soon, it really made no sense for me to keep my minimum wage job that I hated when I could just peddle a pair of panties and shred a man's ego and pay my bills that way. Uh, So I quit. Um, And it was cool, you know, I was really young and I was self-employed and I had, you know, making good money and I had the time to kind of, you know, use as I want. But I really didn't want to get complacent. I just felt like it was a big accident, you know? And I I didn't want to make the mistake that a lot of young people who come into money do where they think it's just always going to be there. So I've always been stressed about the day that the money will slow down or stop altogether, but it didn't. It was like the longer I did it, the the better I got at it and the more popular I became, which was good. But again, as a result, like the better I was getting, the harder it became to keep this a secret from my parents again. They could tell something was up. My apartment was getting bigger, and my car was getting nicer, and I was somehow paying for college without asking them for any money. And, you know, it just didn't really add up, and it kind of created a wedge between us. I remember this day that, you know, my dad saw my new car, and he just kind of rolled his eyes and said, Wow, kiddo, Starbucks is really paying you a lot. (laughs) 
And my dad's the type of guy who can't totally ignore the elephant in the room, but he didn't want to acknowledge it directly because I don't think he really wanted to know where this money was coming from. So, you know, we put on a little show for each other. It was stupid, but it was easier than telling the truth. I figured lots of people lie to their parents, and I can just avoid this topic and, you know, change the subject for the rest of my life. The thing was, I really liked this bizarre little career that I created, and it wasn't just because men found me so unbelievably attractive that they would pay money to own anything I rubbed my pussy against, but because I did it all on my own, and I was self-reliant, and I didn't think my parents could ever really see it that way, and I didn't want my pride to be tainted by their misconceptions. So this one day, me, my dad, and the elephant were uh, all having dinner, and he uh, broke character in that little show we were supposed to perform for each other, and he said, look, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I just want you to know that I love you with all my heart, and I just want you to be happy, and I just want you to be safe. Please, please just tell me that you're happy and you're safe. (sighs) So I knew I had to tell him. Like, it was obvious to me that this was more than just me avoiding his judgments. He thought I was doing something worse than I really was. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to tell you. And the look on his face when I said this was just that of sheer panic. Like, his eyes start darting around and he's like shaking his head rapidly. He's like, no, 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 I don't need to know, that's okay. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> And just as I opened my mouth and before any words came out, he went, as though I was just going to start dropping bombs on him. And I said, Dad, I humiliate men on the internet for a living. And he looked at me like somewhat confused with his hands still hovering over his ears. And I said, I don't meet anyone. I don't touch anyone. I don't even get naked. And his hands slowly began to lower. And I said, these guys, they just have unusual fetishes, and they like it when a girl is mean to them. So essentially, I talk shit, and I get paid for it. And he tilted his head like he was perplexed. And his eyes narrowed, and he took a moment or two to process this before he finally said, really? Not like he was shaming me, but just like in disbelief. And I said, yeah, Dad, really. And he said, really? I'm like, yeah, Dad, really, that's what I do. And from there, ignited a real conversation. He started asking me questions like, you know, who are these guys? What do you talk about? How did you run into them? How much money do you make? And we talked like that for well over an hour. By the end of it all, I just remember him kind of staring off past me, and he said, wow. (laughs) You're a genius. And uh, after that day, I just felt so much lighter. (laughs) And the best part is, I don't feel the need to lie about this to anyone anymore. There's really only a select few people whose opinions of me I care about. And once I came to clean to them about this and still got their love and support in return, no one else's opinion really mattered. Thank you. (laughs) 
all for this week's episode folks this is the new pornographers behind me now don't forget on april 23rd risk is live in new york and los angeles in new york we're at the people's improv theater in la we are at the nerdist showroom and on april 25th we are at the uh women in comedy festival in boston you can always find out where Risk is appearing live next at risk-show.com slash tour. Hey, if you contributed to Maximum Fun uh, during Max Fun Drive, then you got access to our two bonus episodes of Risk, episodes 623 and 624. If you did not participate in the Fun Drive, well, they are now available on iTunes for 99 cents each. If you want to learn more about all the old classic episodes of Risk that are available there as well, just go to risk-show.com slash shop. Remember to follow us and talk to us on Facebook and Twitter at Risk Show. And remember, our school is thestorystudio.org where we teach one-on-one storytelling training sessions over Skype, and all kinds of workshops, including corporate workshops and an online video lecture series. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
I never forget this. This was November 22nd, 2005. I never forget this. November 22nd, 2005. No, no, excuse me. It wasn't 2005. I'm sorry. I was living in Atlanta. Here, you know, it was November 22nd, 2001. I'm sorry. It was 01. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a good dick mixed up with the rape. I'm sorry. 